Okay, hello everybody. Today is Thursday, and we are revisiting the disappearance of Donna Lass from 1970. But a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that next week there will not be an episode on the disappearance of Donna Lass. I'm devoting that week to the Long Island serial killer. There will be a five-part series coming out next week. And if you're listening to this in the future, there's a five-part series available on this channel talking about the Long Island serial killer. But after that is done, then the regular Thursday episodes on the disappearance of Donna Lass, the deep dive podcast segment, will resume. So please look out for that future series and then getting back to the regular Zodiac Mondays, True Crime Talk Radio, the Wednesday AMA, and the um, disappearance of Donna Lass and the Anything Goes segment on Fridays. Lots of things here on Black Box Online Radio. So now's a good time to subscribe to the channel. You can always hit that like button. It really helps it out. But another great way to support the channel is just by listening to some more content. You can check out some of the playlists that are available here on BBOR on YouTube. But you can also go over to the Launchpad One page. Launchpad One is the user-generated affiliate of Podcast One. Download Black Box Online Radio for free. That's the audio as a pure podcast. You can take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. If you would like to download the video of the show, you can use YouTube Premium. But Launchpad One is free. The link to that is in the description box. And finally, I would also invite you to check out the Teespring page. A great way to support the show is just have a look at some of the merchandise, t-shirts, almost all sizes and colors are listed. And remember, being weird is not a crime. Now the first thing I would like to do is to point out that this is listed as part two in this regular series on the disappearance of Donna Lass that is coming out. But if you haven't heard part one yet, that's fine. You can keep listening. I want this series to be done as just that part of an ongoing series. But I also want these episodes to exist as standalone um, segments. So let's just have a very brief introduction on the disappearance of Donna Lass in case someone did not hear part one yet. And I would invite you to listen to part one at some point in the future, but let's just keep going with this one now. Firstly, going over to in the circumstances surrounding her disappearance are that Donna Lass was 25 years old. She worked as a nurse at the Sahara Hotel and Casino. Her last entry in the nurse's logbook was at 1.50 a.m., although her car was found parked at her apartment complex in nearby State Line. She wasn't seen after leaving the Sahara. The next day, an unknown male called her landlord and employer, stating that Lass wouldn't be returning due to a family emergency. The call was a hoax, and there has been no trace of Lass ever since. And it seems Tom Voigt has also written something out here on ZodiacKiller.com, giving his take on the subject. Zodiac victim question mark? Nothing solid connects last to the Zodiac case other than perhaps the fact that she was just living a few blocks from the scene of Zodiac's October 11, 1969 murder of Paul Stein in San Francisco. A postcard supposedly from the Zodiac was received by the San Francisco Chronicle on March 22, 1971, with the implication that Lass was a murder victim. March 22nd is an important date because it's also the date of the Kathleen Johns attempted abduction, the Kathleen Johns incident, which occurred on March 22nd of 1970, with the implication that Lass was a murder victim. However, the postcard contained no proof, as the Zodiac was known for including. See, this is something that you're just going to encounter with all of the activities around the Zodiac killer, and a big differentiation is, in the first Zodiac letter, it said, I will state some facts that only I and the police know. 
and then the Zodiac murdered Paul Stein on October 11th of 1969 and mailed in a piece of his bloody shirt. Where's the proof of the Donna last crime, if indeed the Zodiac did commit that one? A retired, oh, in 1999, a retired detective revealed to me that a former Zodiac investigator had admitted to forging the Donna last postcard. And when it says admitted to me, of course, that's Tom Voigt. Conclusion. The facts indicate that Lass was abducted after arriving at her apartment, which is behavior that the Zodiac never demonstrated. Even if the Zodiac was responsible for the last postcard, it is still not proof that he abducted her. Okay, now let's look at this one very particular detail. Did Donna Lass get abducted at the Sahara Hotel and Casino where she worked? Or did she get abducted at her apartment building? because her car was found at the apartment building, locked, didn't appear that there was any type of tampering with it, didn't appear that there was any type of illegal activities going on surrounding her vehicle. But I'll read that one more time here on uh, Tom Voigt's page. The facts indicate that Lass was abducted after arriving at her apartment, which is behavior that the Zodiac never demonstrated. Now, if you exclude the non-canonical crimes and just look at the canonical Zodiac crimes. The Zodiac operated at Lover's Lanes near a uh, lakeside. We're talking about the entrance to a water pumping station road, Blue Rock Springs Park, a park at Lake Berryessa, and downtown Presidio Heights. The Zodiac never followed anyone home, but did Donna Alaska get abducted at the Sahara Hotel and Casino, or was she abducted at um, her apartment complex? And I will say something about that later on in the episode, so please stay tuned. And I also need to throw in the, well, disclaimer that every single person who was writing an article about the Donna Lass case that we went through last time included some of their own variations. Something just had to be different in every single article where you heard that um, she was last seen at 1.50 a.m., but when she was working her 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift, one article said 1.15 a.m., another said 1.30, another said 2 a.m. Everything just had some difference in it. But right now I would like to get to your comments that have been left here. This one comes to us from Asquade UAWipe007. I get really evil vibes from this topic. I can't take the thought of what went down in Ohio to those five girls by Castro. I think his name is Castro. And um not sure what that has to do with Donna Lass, but thank you all the same. MC writes, The more I listen to these videos, I'm now going back to thinking that the Zodiac was a cop. Every move of this case, prior to anything that was happening, he was firsthand he had first hand info on what they were thinking and planning. Well, numerous sources have stated that um that Donna Lass postcard was a forgery. Tom Void even said that uh, that on Zodiackiller.com. The fact is that he has never been caught. And too much false information being injected, and then everyone sifts through that only to come up with the same answer. Nope, not him. Thanks so much for these great videos. I love the details you provide, and the research you do is very noteworthy. Hey, awesome. Thank you. And Kelly Gable says, you forgot to mention that Donna Lass was born in South Dakota. Also, FYI, her father was born in South Dakota, and her mother was born in Iowa, which borders South Dakota. So, um... About that, there are Zodiac suspects who claim to have a connection to South Dakota, and there's there's at least one named Richard Gajkowski, who was born in Watertown, South Dakota, 
And Kelly Gable continues by saying, here's some things to think about. Donna Lass's mother was named Frances Mary Kukar, and then, of course, she changed her name to Lass after getting married. She was born in Aurelia, Cherokee County, Iowa. Betty Lou Jensen's mother, Virginia Blenderman, was born in Iowa. Sherry Jo Bates's mother, Irene Margaret Karolovitz, and of course she changed her name to Bates, was born June 27, 1919, in Yankton County, South Dakota. Sherry Jo Bates, and then was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Robert Christian Hansen took pastry decorating classes in Minnesota, and his wife and has family in Arkansas and Oklahoma. Also, Robert Ivan Nichols worked in South Dakota for quite some time. This is more than just a coincidence. As I said, um, there's more than one Zodiac killer suspect that has a connection to South Dakota, and Kelly has pointed out his two prime suspects, Robert Christian Hansen and Robert Ivan Nichols. I'm not going to uh, lie to you. I think that it's a very big story, and that would be a fascinating way to uh, put it into a novel about a serial killer who's committing these crimes, and the victims either have significance to his hometown or something in the general vicinity, like every victim has some clue about where the serial killer was originally from, and Kelly shares some of this in uh, previous episodes that, say for example, a serial killer was born in Iowa, and then all of the um, victims had something about them that resembled a place name in Iowa. Hypothetically, let's just, you know, make up an if-if-if right now. Say, for example, Sherry Joe Bates was murdered and there's a town called Bates in Iowa. That's not a real example, but um, I'm not 100% convinced that's what's happening, but I do think that that is um, a fascinating way of looking at it. But here's something about the disappearance of Donna Lassa comes from Colonel Reb when he says, I don't buy the call to her work. Next morning was a, a hoax. Little bit too much of a coincidence. And by hoax, I'm pretty sure Colonel Reb means that that it was anyone other than the abductor. I mean, it sounds like someone is throwing in false leads, or they're trying to throw water on their pull the fire. I guess a better way to do it would be covering their tracks. They're trying to show that um, this person d disappeared, but they're providing an excuse so the authorities wouldn't get suspicious, so that her employer and her landlord would not get suspicious. But anyway, uh, thank you for the comments all the same, everybody, and if you would like to leave some comments here, maybe your comment will be featured n next time on the disappearance of Donna Last segments that are coming out on Thursdays. I should also make the note that there is a book out there called Decryption of the Donna Lass Code, and it is available on Amazon.com, And although you're going to have to pay a certain amount of money for that, and it is written by Lauren L. Swearingen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But right now I would like to go to a particular book review that has been written on that decryption of the Donna Lass Code, and this is by Mark Twain II. And there's a reason, this will tie directly in to Tom Voigt's um, post there talking about how Donna Lass was abducted um, outside of her apartment building. Donna Ann Lass was last seen in South Lake Tahoe on Saturday, September 5th, 1970, the last full day of her life. She left her residence at the Mount Verde Apartments on Pioneer Trail Road in South Lake Tahoe without her vehicle and walked to work. Lass worked as a nurse at the Sahara Hotel and Casino. On this particular day, she was on 
the night shift from 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. Her last entry in the nurse's logbook was at 1.50 a.m. Sunday, September 6, 1970. Harvey Hines, interviewed by the Tahoe Daily Tribune, stated, There was a lot of evidence inside the Sahara Tahoe Casino that she left directly from there. She was a very personal person, and she left a lot of personal items behind. An open letter, and oh, sorry, an, yes, an opened letter, a dirty uniform on her log, and a pen was dragged from the last word she wrote to the bottom of the page. She was not seen leaving the Sahara by anyone any time afterwards. Her locked-up 1968 convertible was found parked at her apartment complex, which is consistent with the fact that she walked to work that day. No suspicious activity subsequent to September 6, 1970, had reported on her credit card or savings account. The next day, on Monday, September 7, 1970, an unknown male called her landlord and employer, stating that Donna Lass would not be returning due to a family emergency. The call was determined to be a hoax, meaning that there was no family emergency, but as Colonel Reb said, that was most likely the abductor. Uh, otherwise, that's just too much of a coincidence, and I tend to agree with that, but who was the abductor is the question, and there has been no trace of Donna Lass ever since. A Zodiac encrypted message on a locally circulated rewards poster was thought to perhaps give some clues to the location of her body, but her remains have never been reported as being found. Donna Lass may have been the last suspected victim of the Zodiac killer. In addition to the Zodiac letter about six months after the disappearance of Donna Lass circa March 22, 1971, a Victim 12 regularly four-cent postcard was sent by to the journalist Paul Avery of the San Francisco Chronicle. The main picture on the postcard was taken from an advertisement for the Forest Pines condominiums, embellished with lots of pasted text, and now familiar, the Zodiac symbol. Handwriting expert Sherwood Morrill of the State Bureau of Investigation and Identification at Sacramento confirmed that the address on the front was in the Zodiac's writing. However, investigators were not sure, and to this day they are not sure if this postcard was directly related to the case of Donna Lass. On December 7, 1974, a Christmas card was sent from the killer to the sister of Donna Lass, portraying three main trees covered in snow with the central tree predominant in the picture. Once opened, it revealed a message that said, Holiday greetings and best wishes for a happy new year, followed by the added handwriting in a distinctly cold and insensitive writing style, Best wishes, St. Donna, and guardian of the pines. Now, there are a couple of points here that I would like to challenge first. Thank you, Mark Twain, too, for writing this book review here on um, the, the decryption of the Donna Lass Code. The first one is that Donna Lass was living at the Mount Faraday Apartments on Pioneer Trail Road. It says that right here. September 5th, 1970, the last full day of her life, she left her residence at the Mount Verde Apartments on Pioneer Trail Road, South Lake Tahoe, without her vehicle. Now, I decided to um, put that into Google Maps to see, firstly, is this a distance that someone would reasonably walk? And Mount Verde Apartments, uh, it's actually Monte Verde came up in South Lake Tahoe, but um, there's going to be a screenshot included here, and Monte Verde Apartments seems that it is in walking distance. It would take you 42 minutes to walk to just um, 
the to the city center of South Lake Tahoe, but one thing that I did notice was that it is quite within the California border because I began to look for that state line because everything else and all the other sources state that Donna Lass was living in state line Nevada, which is across the, well, just that, the state line. She's living on the Nevada side. I even read that off in the introduction, and the majority of sources do state that this apartment complex that is mentioned in the book review is on the California side, so um, I'm not exactly sure where they're getting that info from. But um, the other thing that I wanted to point out is Sahara Ta the Sahara Hotel and Casino did not come up as well, so it's an approximated distance. But I then I put in the walking pattern from State Line, Nevada, Granted, though, I'm I'm not sure exactly which address, because the address provided in this book review says it's just somewhere on Pioneer uh, Road in South Lake Tahoe. But in State Line, Nevada, from just the uh, town limit or whatever Google Maps has provided, that is 55 minutes. I mean, I guess so, but did she actually do that? There's a reason why people think that she was abducted by the apartment complex, because... She um, had her car there, which um, had all of her belongings. Nothing was taken from the apartment. The only things that were missing were Donna's purse, the clothes she was wearing. That seems like it is um, something that is also consistent throughout all of the news coverage. I would be very, very curious how this person obtained that address that is not in State Line, Nevada, because 42 minutes of um, a walking distance to work, that's a little bit more reasonable. The next point that I would like to, to um, challenge is just something in my own gut instinct and curiosity that has me, uh, has rubbed me the wrong way, let's say, and that is that, let's look at this line here. On her logbook, a pen was dragged from the last word she wrote to the bottom of the page. And I was looking for a copy of that, and I'm not going to say that that's untrue. I would say until I see a copy of that logbook and look at that exact pen mark, I'm horribly skeptical about it because I think if that were an established fact that the pen was dragged from her entry to the bottom of the page, well, what does that suggest? That someone grabbed her while she was writing and then they did something to her and you heard the thing about the dirty uniform is left behind, the open letter. That sounds like the signs of a struggle, more or less, that somebody abducted her from the Sahara Hotel and Casino. But already I'm drawing a couple red flags about uh, this book review, and it's uh, not saying anything about Mark Twain, too. I mean, this stuff's all on the internet. I even read off an article last time talking about the pen mark that was dragged to the bottom. The problem is, though, how do we find out what is actually true? And on that note, I've also noticed numerous sources that have talked about how there's this uh, guy named Lawrence Kane, who is who was born Lawrence Klein in 1924, changed his name to Lawrence K in the early 1940s, and then adopted many aliases, Lawrence Barton, another one, and he was using the name Lawrence Kane in 1968 and 69. And there are countless news articles that report that he was an employee at the Sahara Hotel and Casino, and people are just even going back and forth about this on forums and comments sections. They're saying, this guy Lawrence Kane, did he actually work there? If he did, let's say he did, 
that still doesn't mean that he abducted Donna Lass. I mean, that would just mean that they have some type of first-hand connection. But one thing I didn't notice was, um, well, they're in a casino, right? How would you even establish that Donna Lass and Lawrence Kane actually even crossed paths? I mean, to convict somebody of kidnapping, abduction, murder, you would need a little bit more than just they live in the same town or they've been in the same building. But yes, it is an enormous uh, coincidence, if that is true. But that's also something that I don't see that is widely reported by all of the news sources, the same way that that pen being dragged to the bottom of the logbook is also not widely reported. And now I would like to move on to an article from the Las Vegas Sun called Was Tahoe Disappearance Linked to Zodiac Killer by Je Gregory Crofton. Gregory Crofton, and this is from 2000. South Lake Tahoe, California. Her bathroom light was left on and there were no signs of a struggle. Piles of clothes lay neatly folded on her new apartment floor. But 25-year-old Donna Lass never came home. Lass disappeared in 1970, working a late-night shift at a state-line casino nursing station. And he says state-line casino, but of course the uh, Sahara was in South Lake Tahoe. Thirty years later, little progress has been made in solving the mystery, but South Shore detectives have been investigating Lass's case ever since August, thinking that she may have been a victim of the serial killer known as the Zodiac. The killer sent dozens of letters to several California newspapers, and they began with the words, This is the Zodiac speaking. I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. prime example of one time that it didn't was the uh, 1974 Exorcist letter, as well as some others. In the letters, the Zodiac took credit for five murders, two attempted murders, and a kidnapping, all in California, 1969 and 1970. Oh, kidnapping 1970, that must be the uh, attempted abduction of Kathleen Johns. But um, there are also numerous other crimes that, that could be. The self-proclaimed murderer made phone calls to, on September 27, 1969, a man was audacious enough to call Napa Police Department around 7 p.m. and claimed that 45 minutes earlier, he had stabbed to death two people. One victim survived. That would be the Lake Berryessa stabbing, and I don't think the call came around 7 p.m. I actually think that it was at 7.40 p.m. But did this terrifying murderer ever come to South Lake Tahoe? Since August, South Lake Tahoe police detective Tom Connor has been reviewing a report compiled by Harvey Hines, a 66-year-old investigator from Groveland, California, who claims Donna Lass was kidnapped and murdered by the Zodiac. Well, Harvey Hines' suspect is Lawrence Kane, and no matter what, whether Kane is in the Sahara Hotel and Casino the day that Lass was abducted or not, I mean, that's on that I, I would still need some harder evidence to back up if he's actually present there on that day. But the bigger thing is, we know that Kane is in Nevada. You could almost call him the Nevada Connection, except for the fact that he was originally from New York. Hines, a retired policeman who had been investigating the case since 1973, became interested in the South Shore after the Zodiac sent a postcard to the media that stated he had claimed his 12th victim in the Tahoe area. He soon found two supplemental South Lake Tahoe police reports filed March 25, 1970 that piqued his interest. In the reports, a woman claimed that she met a strange man at the International House of Pancakes on U.S. Highway 50 who wanted to read her astrological chart.
Now, I think it was on ZodiacCiphers.com, and I did encounter something um, about this story, but what stood out to me much more noticeably is, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um, one thing that pops up very easily on um, on Google Maps is the International House of Pancakes off of Highway Route 150. I guess it's one of the highlights of South Lake Tahoe, California, but next to the IHOP is a Whole Foods and um, looks like a Safeway supermarket. I wasn't even looking for that IHOP. It just came up uh, very easily, and it is off of um, Highway 50. I mean, places like that don't always stay in the same place. I mean, I mean, chain restaurants can open and shut down very frequently, but if that one is in the same place, that is definitely... Um, on the walking path that someone would use from state line Nevada to uh to to the majority of the um locations in South Lake Tahoe, California. So I would say that that lines up though. It really isn't something though that you would want to regularly do though walk 55 minutes into work, but um people do things like that, so it's not completely out of the ordinary. By 1976, Hines identified a man he believes is the serial killer, a person who is still alive. That one we know is Lawrence Kane. I was doing this on my own, Hines said. Why didn't the other agencies take it and run? Because they all had their own suspects. There, were so, there was so much departmental jealousy, and it was thick enough to cut with a knife. On that note of departmental jealousy, you heard the thing at the beginning about how there was this guy who claims that He's reporting that it's an established fact that that postcard that was mailed after the disappearance of Donna Lass was a forgery made by a police officer, made by an investigator. There are two reasons why I think people do this, because we encounter these two things in the true crime world. The first is a good, well-hearted intention that it's trying to bait the killer into writing more, saying that, oh, that wasn't me on the TV the same way they might try and bait him into saying, that wasn't me who wrote the postcard. But um, they're trying to get him to respond in some ways. Even if he doesn't say, that wasn't me who wrote that postcard, he would at least write an authentic communication. That, I would definitely think, would be a an excuse rather than a reason in this particular case. The other reason why this happens in the true crime world is that an investigator just has this desire to incorporate themselves into the mystery. And um, Dave Toskey was actually accused of writing the 1978 letter as well, not to mention everything that is mentioned in the Great Zodiac Killer hoax of 1986 about how Robert Graysmith is accused of um, committing Zodiac forgeries, author of the most famous Zodiac book. And most precisely, uh, Thomas Henry Horan accuses Graysmith of writing the 78 letter, not Dave Toskey. He accuses Graysmith of that and the Melvin Belli letter, meaning that Graysmith was an active participant throughout all of this, and there are numerous reasons why he would do that. I mean, he's an active participant in the disinfo campaign of the Zodiac Killer in 68, 69, and 70, mostly 1969, but then goes on to write additional letters, including the 78 one that I just mentioned, and then writing a book full of misinformation so that no one would ever figure it out. But what Graysmith was um, not expecting was that the entirety of the Zodiac Killer case file would have been made to the general public. But let's go back to the Las Vegas Sun. 
In late August, as part of a 30-year memorial pushed by the last family to solve the case, the investigator presented an 80-page report to South Shore law enforcement agencies. Connor took an interest in the case, as did Douglas County investigators, and together they began working on it. Connor has gone over Heinz's report four times, but found holes in it. He said that he needs to review it with the investigator. The report aside, last week, Connor collected a blood sample from Lass's older sister, Mary Pilker, age 66, and ran a check on Lass's social security card and nursing license. The blood sample was taken home with hopes of finding a genetic match through the database maintained by the Department of Justice. There is the possibility that her remains have already been found and entered into the databank, Connor says. If we get a match, at least, we will know where she was found. Hopefully that will be some kind of closure for the family. This article was written 21 years ago, but it's something that I think a lot of us do ponder from time to time, and these comments aren't exclusively relevant to Donna Lass. I mean, any time. Say, for example, someone's decomposed remains have been found, and they're listed as a John Doe or a Jane Doe. They're listed, listed as an unidentified person. And they just don't have the sufficient dental records to connect them. They don't have um, DNA on file. You'd think that uh, with today's technology, they would be able to do something with DNA if they had biological uh, matter left behind. But um, I'm just um, stating something that we've been curious about, especially growing up in the true crime world in the early 2000s. Connor also received from the FBI a psychological profile of the Zodiac that he plans to study. While the work being done by Connor is appreciated, family members said they were not satisfied with the investigation. I haven't heard from anyone, Mary Pilker said. It is quite a disappointment. Connor seems to be doing as much as he can, and he seems to be doing it all on his own time. Mary's son Don said the most frustrating thing is that the two women alive who he thinks can identify the Zodiac but they have not been interviewed by law enforcement. One woman, Kathleen John, says she was a victim of the Zodiac on March 22, 1970. Well, it's a little bit more than Kathleen John says she was a victim. There was a letter that took credit for the abduction of Kathleen Johns. Johns told police that she and her infant daughter escaped with his grasp when they jumped from his car and ran into a field near Patterson, California. That, of course, was off of Highway 132. When she got to Patterson Police Station, John saw a sketch of the killer on the wall and said, That's him. Years later, Hines presented a number of photographs to John. The man she picked out immediately as her abductor was the same man Hines suspected for the past 24 years of being the Zodiac Killer. Also, does something um stand out to you about that? I was using this expression on the AMA yesterday when I said, I don't like it when people say something is too perfect. How can be something be too perfect, right? No, I definitely had that um, experience with that just there. It's almost like things are fitting too perfectly, and I wish they weren't, because if you were to just listen to Harvey Hines, you would think that Lawrence Kane is the Zodiac Killer. But if I have to just give an honest personal statement I mean, not playing devil's advocate, not just trying to weigh the merit of someone else's idea. I think there's something extraordinarily fishy about Harvey Hines. If I had to go with my gut instinct, I am so suspicious of him, and I'm not even sure why, but it's almost as if he made a discovery with the Z-13 cipher, and he's trying to fudge the facts a little bit. In regards to the disappearance of Donna Lass, um, I 
I think that that address that was provided about the Monteverdi apartments is also incorrect. Um, if she were... I mean, there are other ways, though, that people can get to and from work. They can get rides from other people, most notably that one. But Donna Lass, though, no one saw her leave the Sahara Hotel and Casino. Well, the other thing we would need to find out is, is that something that she did regularly? Is that something that she um, did, like, you know, leave without saying goodbye? And the condition of these items, that there is this dirty uniform left behind, that would suggest that she changed her clothes before she was going out. But the thing about uh, the un the opened letter, the dirty uniform, the pen has been dragged to the bottom. Those almost seem like fantasy-filled writers pouring things into it. And a lot of it could come from Harvey Hines. And I want to be clear about that. That is just my gut instinct. It's the feeling that you get when someone is telling you a story and you're like, wait a second, is that really true? I, I, I didn't know Harvey Hines personally. I've never spoken to him. I've never been able to evaluate his credibility on my own. But something about these um descriptions of Kane almost feel like everything is just fitting too too perfectly. And I'm very suspicious of that because... Let's look at some of the things that we've established for Lawrence Kane. And I knew that this Donna Lass series was going to turn into a Lawrence Kane series, even though I didn't want it to. But we have to talk about Lawrence Kane because he is a suspect. We've also said previously that the only two crimes where there's a definitive connection to Lawrence Kane are the abduction of Kathleen Johns and the disappearance of Donna Lass. Kane can be placed near the Sahara Hotel and Casino near South Lake Tahoe, California and State Line, Nevada in 1970, and he was also identified by Kathleen Johns from that photo lineup. But he also becomes a very big suspect in the 1974 abduction and murder of Dana Lull. Well, those crimes are all quite different than the Zodiac Killer. Those are all unconfirmed crimes. The Zodiac Killer never abducted anyone, so that's not exactly in his wheelhouse. But also, to just point out, the murder of Dana Lull could show us what actually happened to Kathleen Johns. Dana Lowe was abducted from a lover's lane when she was with her boyfriend, and much like Kathleen Johns running into a field, her boyfriend, Roy Topai, ran into a ravine, and was um, that's probably what saved his life, because the killer had already devoted his attention to Dana Lowe. She was abducted and then driven somewhere for some time, we aren't completely sure, and her body was found several weeks later in a mine shaft. Maybe something similar has happened to Donna Lass, but we will not know 100%. And the big difference between the Dana Lull abduction is there's a surviving eyewitness who can say that it was a Caucasian man who was wearing driving gloves, he was smartly dressed. But with the abduction of Donna Lass, I think it's even more mysterious because nobody saw her leave work. I mean, they expect that she was in the Sahara where she worked, at 1.50 a.m., but if they didn't see her leave, then, I mean, maybe it's true that she walked to work um, across the state line, but you also would wonder, is that really what a 25-year-old woman is going to be doing? Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to walk to work for the 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift. Yeah, I'm just going to walk home at 2 a.m. What? It's fun. I'm also a little bit suspicious about that, and in, if anything, though, um, that could, it could very well be exactly what Tom Foyt wrote out in the beginning. 
that Donna Lass was abducted from her apartment, and that's why the car was found there. You know, you imagine somebody just leaves without saying goodbye. Maybe she did that regularly. She drives home, and then she's abducted like at her apartment complex. She's coming home late at night, and she's in a vulnerable place. But anyway, let's investigate more and see what we can find.